Hey listeners, welcome to SphereCast, a podcast all about technology, technology advice, technology inspiration, and how real entrepreneurs have used technology to build their businesses from the ground up. If you're wondering how technology can support your business goals, rest assured, our guests have been there and done that. How much money do you have in your wallet right now? And I'm not talking about cards. I am talking about physical cash. My guess would be that for most of you, that number is very low. And why? Because over the years, our paper dollars, pounds and euros have evolved into plastic cards. And those plastic cards, they're evolving into the next iteration of payments. That is digital. Hey, it's Luke again here with Spearcast. And this week, Sani and I interview Luke de Haas. Luke is the Chief Executive Officer and founder at Mosi, a Toronto-based digital platform offering an easy way to pull money with large groups of friends and send those funds directly into bank accounts. Think of it as a Venmo type of platform, but for the masses. Mosi offers familiar one-to-one digital funds transfer, but also offers the option to quickly and easily create crowdfunding projects amongst friends. Luke and his co-founders are young, and having been raised in the digital age, they know the real value of seamless, non-physical funds transfers. And as digital payments continue to rise in adoption and popularity, these types of capabilities must continue to expand. On the podcast, Luke explains how he and his team spotted a gap in this ever-growing industry and built a solution to meet the need. So without further ado, here's a conversation with Luke de Haas. Luke, we're so thrilled to host you on our podcast today. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Doing well, thanks. I'd like to start with your most recent venture. Could you tell us what is Mosea and why did you create this service? Yeah, so we're located in Canada right now. Um, and, and in Canada, there's this uh, method of payment called Interact e-transfer, which is owned by the big five banks. And that virtually processes roughly 90 to 95% of all one-to-one payments in Canada. Uh, and then you look at the upper echelon and you see kind of the event rights and the ticket masters, and they dominate the kind of 100 to one space, the really large gatherings where you don't know people. You've got the GoFundMes that would kind of fall in that category where it's groups of people that are trying to raise money for certain causes. But you have no one that sits in the middle from two to one all the way up to, you know, 30, 40, 50 to one groups of peers that are trying to do something together, split a bill, go on a vacation, throw a party, anything like that, where they can collect money in an organized way. And we had this problem, you know, for years, there used to be a platform that kind of solved it, but they ended up going out of business. And so we decided, you know what, why don't we go and create this thing? And so that's really where it stemmed from. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. How did you create a proof of concept after you had identified that there's a consumer pain point or a need for this specific service? How did you go about it? So that's, it's actually interesting. So when we first came to market, we thought, you know, when you look into it, processing payments is very, very expensive anywhere in the world, but especially in Canada, which is why this Interact e-transfer is dominated by the big banks, because they can simply afford to do it. Um, And so we had to think to ourselves, you know, how do we make this in a way where all these small payments, these $20 payments are going to just wreck us, right? From from all the amount of money we're going to be spending on payment processing. And so we decided to go with kind of a, a crowdfunding platform to start. So we, our plan was, our strategy was, we'll get people to host 50, 100 person events. We'll offer it at a lower price than what Ticketmaster and Eventbrite do so they can come to our site. And then we can also throw our own different types of events in there and make 25, 30% margins. 
This all allows us to get a little bit of runway. And so with this runway, we can actually push forward um, and, and create this kind of platform where we want these little smaller groups to interact. And so that was kind of the, the game plan. Uh, and then, you know, we launched about, we pivoted a couple of times, but we launched about three weeks before COVID started. Um, and the first three weeks we processed, you know, 50 or $60,000. And so, you know, we knew we were onto something. We knew that there was definitely a need mm-hmm. for this and people u- were using it for use cases that we hadn't even expected it, right? Like people were starting to collect their utility bills and whatnot through the platform. And so at that point, we realized that we were onto something uh, and then COVID hit. And as COVID hit, we realized, you know, we've got to pivot this platform or, or, or we can die. And so we pivoted to going after virtual charity fundraisers and virtual conferences because a lot of those are raised, you know, 50 to $100,000. And that could kind of get us a little bit of time. At the same time, we decided to raise a pre-seed round and, and, and got put in touch with a few different uh, angel investors and ended up raising a, a, a pre-seed round of a few hundred thousand dollars, which kind of got us up until uh, a few months ago. Right. And what did you do with that? You know, where, where, where was the money spent when you did the pre-seed round? So the the money throughout the summer was spent. One, there was a bit of sales going on it. Uh, myself and, and the two other co-founders who were who were, were part of the company, we weren't taking salaries. So we had this kind of chunk of change to, to play around with. We hired on a developer, um, a, another developer, so that we could have, you know, two of us uh, kind of going through things uh, and, and reiterated on our platform, kind of focusing on these on these big scale events, which we already had a lot of the features in place for. And so Aiden and I would focus on on selling and getting all these different events onto the platform. Uh, and then what we used with the money coming into the new school year is, is COVID started to lift up. So we were allowed to have 10, 25, and then 50 person, you know, different gatherings. And so we hired on a team of brand ambassadors, which we paid compensate or, or um, commission based. Uh, and then, and then we also partnered with a bunch of these different sponsors. And so what this allowed us to do was one, a lot of the money was still used for some of this payment processing, but two, it was used for these brand ambassadors to go and spread word. And they did a very, very good job at that, which ended up leading to viral um, word of mouth marketing. Uh, and, 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 you know, and then if you, you know, continue a little bit further down the line in December, we actually raised another round just based on our traction and, yeah. and now we're good for, you know, 16 months. So that really gives us some, some runway. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I want to take a step back a little bit. So, you know, you, you said like you had to pivot uh, basically post COVID, otherwise, you know, existential risk was there. So would love to understand a little bit more about how would you compare with what brands do you think in Europe compare with what you guys are doing in Canada or in the US maybe in the yeah, fintech sector? In the US. So so one of the things uh, that we compare ourselves to and is is Venmo and Cash App, right? Like they dominate the one-to-one space. But if when you look kind of underneath the hood of Venmo and Cash App, they're not profitable yet, although they probably will be profitable at, at some point in the near future, um, but they aren't profitable yet. And so that's where we really started to realize like these companies are worth 30 billion or Venmo is worth, you know, 30 billion or so dollars. And how are we going to, you know, how, how they're having these issues with pay- processing payments. So, so what the hell are, are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's kind of where we compared ourselves just because they do all these kind of smaller group payments, one-to-one and stuff like that, but they don't focus on these group payments. And that's where we saw this, this huge hole in the market where we want to get into, but really focus on Canada where it's a slightly more barren market. There's not as much competition doing exactly what we're doing and no one has a real stronghold on anyone. Um, so, so using a lot of first principles that we've seen from, from Venmo and bringing it over to Canada. I see. And how, how big is your team? Could you tell us a little bit about the the, the, the founding, you know, principal founders of, uh, of Masaya and, uh, 
and uh, you know maybe their roles as well like who played what role typically we we speak with entrepreneurs who are saying okay three is the best you know kind of um, founding team three members one is sales the other one is you know raising funds and the third one is typically a CTO or a senior level engineer so um, yeah what was your team set up when you started has there been any changes are you looking for more found you know like uh, let's say the the partners or investors right now it's actually really accurate uh, of, of how our, our structure is set up. So uh, the three co-founders are myself, Colin, and Aiden. Um, I was a, a recent graduate. I graduated about three years ago now uh, from Wilfrid Laurier, which is a school uh, out in Western Ontario. Uh, and then Colin and Aiden uh, graduated from, from separate schools, but we knew each other since grade nine. We went to high school together. Colin was actually at McGill developing um, an anti-cancer vaccine uh, and was going to med school and decided to, to leave that path and pursue Mosey with us full time. Aiden, uh, the, Aiden's really, really solid on our team. He kind of handles more of the marketing and sales side, but, but his big thing was it, while he was in university, he had this company, um, which essentially would bring in big acts. They would bring in the chain smokers, Tory lanes, a lot of these different big acts mm-hmm. to, to, to Canada and, and put on these different, you know, concerts or whatnot. Wow. Um, and so that was really, really useful when we were launching, right? Because he could bring all these acts, he knew exactly how to do it. He knew what the margins were. It was mm-hmm. a pretty successful company. Uh, and so he came on kind of in the sales and marketing role and helping with the promotion side. He was also kind of instrumental in helping with this brand ambassador program. Uh, and then my background is, is business from Laurier. But I also had this company while I was in university that would essentially set up uh, different video game tournaments. Um, and so we ended up getting that from, you know, just Laurier to across Canada within six to 12 months. And we expanded from, you know, I just started with FIFA and that actually expanded into Fortnite um, as Fortnite came out in 2017 and ended up making an exit from that uh, in earlier mid 2018. So, so that was there. And then from there came on in into Mosey and had a different idea at the beginning of Mosey, but pivoted that to where we are. Yeah. Um, and, and then to round out the rest of our team, we've got our, our CTO, his name's Michelle, unbelievable. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, mid forties now, but what a great, what a great, fantastic person to have on our team. Like he's really helped Colin out in the development stuff where, you know, you don't have that experience. He actually has two previous exits himself and was the VP of engineering at, a, at an AI firm prior to coming to us. Uh, so he's been incredible. And then we also have uh, another member of our team, Logan. Logan graduated from Western's IV, uh, double degree IV in computer science program. Um, and so that just really rounds out the development team. We're actually hiring one other right now. And then, and then we've got Aiden and I that kind of grasp and, and tackle the full marketing, fundraising and sales side. I see. Uh, the, there's a secret playbook. Uh, yeah. We'd love to know more about that, but I'll, I'll let Senia, you know, go through the next queue uh, here. So yeah, over to you, Senia. Absolutely. I'm dying to ask you about your product strategy. Did you guys decide to go with a cheap and dirty MVP or perhaps you decided to go right away with the high-end technologies that would scale and be future-proof? What was the thought process? I mean, yeah. share with us? I want to add here. So you mentioned the, uh, yeah. you know, your CTO is, has an AI background. So was there any conflict uh, in terms of, okay, we, we would love to use some more data in the future. So let's go scalable or, you know, let's go cheap and dirty. So that must have been some question. Yeah, you might have come across. So when we launched, when we when we originally launched, um, and we were building this product, and we said like we, you know, we were reading a ton, and and we'd all had some sort of business experience in one way or another, um, and 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 we were all really really into entrepreneurship, and so we knew that we just wanted to get an MVP out, right? We just wanted to have proof of concept with something. We knew that it might not be the product, but we wanted to just get something out. So we designed something, you know, fairly quickly and just got it out into market. It wasn't that good, to be completely honest, but people were using it because they had nothing else to use, um, and so so that was kind of where it was really you know beneficial. As soon as we started hitting, you know, a few thousand users, though, um, we. Really 
realized that we were going to need to develop a completely new product from scratch. And so that's when we decided to bring on and hire on a, a, a true senior developer, which was Michelle. Michelle came on board and basically we, we still have the platform up, although we don't do any maintenance on it right now. We're full steam on this new platform that we're developing. But this one's where we've really, you know, gone to the back to the drawing board, made sure that it can scale to, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. And really, really gone through in, in the intricacies of, of making sure this is as perfect as possible in MVP. And then when you think about it, we've had COVID and, and when we've, we've been looking at models and, and, and realized that, you know, COVID's still going to be here for another mm-hmm. few months. We, we expected it to be here until summer 2021, back when we were when we were predicting this all last summer. Um, and so that's why we said, listen, let's just make a really solid product. We've got eight to 12 months where we can really design something solid. Let's not try and get it out in four months and, and, and get something crappy out. Let's make a really, really solid product. And so now we're about two months away from launching that product uh, which is completely different from what you see on our website right now i see so yeah okay so there's a new product coming um so are, are you going to be moving migrating your existing customer base onto the new product and then is there a new marketing marketing campaign that's going to be launched as well to launch the product or, yeah i guess so, so- so yeah, we're, we're bringing, so right now we have, you know, roughly four or 5,000 um, active users and, and we'll be migrating all of those over to, to this new platform. Um, and then our marketing campaign is, it's kind of similar as we don't want a, it to grow too quickly because we want to see some of our unit economics with this new platform. Like we have an idea of what they'll be, but we just want to see how users actually use the platform. So we're using it as a kind of an invite only where we'll give invites to the users of the platform right now. They can go and invite as many people as they want. And then those people can go and invite as many people as they want. But for example, if you don't have an invite from anyone, you can't just download the platform. And so that helps because one, the biggest thing with the platform is the network effect, right? Like you need nodes in the network to be able to, to, to be able to use it efficiently. So it's just, it's not useful for 10 people in a random province to have, to have the platform downloaded. You need all of those nodes connected somehow, which is why we want, you know, people inviting other people. So that's the first thing is getting people to to start inviting others. Um, As the summer comes up, we don't know what it's going to look like with COVID. So we've been approaching different, you know, um, venues to throw different parties and whatnot like that. But, but at this time, we're not doing anything big like that. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but but our we're going to be totally on the ground and 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 marketing to our to our demographic, which tend to be students right now. Um, And that will begin starting in September. I have a sort of a personal question, if you don't mind, Luke. What's the one thing you wish you had known uh, when you began your career? It's mm, a good one. Um, so I think to preface this, I think being really naive when you're young is really, really useful. Um, because if I knew everything that I knew now, I might not have started this idea. <laughs> but uh, but 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 so I think I think being naive is really, really useful. Some things that I wish I'd known. Um, I wish I knew how much payment processing costed. Um, I wish I knew exactly kind of the intricacies of legal fees and how some of these legal documents worked, um, you know, more in depth. And so when, when investors approach us and they say things like full ratchet clauses and stuff like that and, and participating, like I, I, I knew them inside and out. Um, luckily, we had really good lawyers on our team that, that made sure we didn't sign anything like that. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think just, just experience, right? Like I think when you're young, you can be relatively smart, but you just don't have the experience that, that people who are 30, 40, 50 years old that have been around it, um, have seen. And, and there's, there's tons of things I wish I had learned, uh, prior, but, but I'm, I think the biggest thing is I'm really glad at how naive we were going into it and how naive we, we, we still are. Um, and it allows us to keep pushing forward where other people wouldn't do so. And I guess, you know, I don't want to ramble on too long, but when you start 
internet consumer companies, especially companies like this, there's, there's two different kind of um, risks that you take into consideration and, and it's kind of execution risk and market risk. Um, and when you're very, very young, the market risk is kind of an, if market risk is very high, everyone's kind of at an even level playing field. So if you're very young and you're, and you're very experienced, if there's a ton of market risk, you know, the young people could come up with a solution that the old people couldn't. And it's not so much on, on execution. When you get into something where you need like vast networks and you need a ton of business experience, for example, you're starting a law firm, that's more on the execution risk side. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, starting this internet consumer business, and which is why you see a lot of entrepreneurs that are very young that, that become successful with internet consumer businesses, right? They know the demographic very well where viral networks spread. Um, and so that's what I think we we have really to our advantage. We're very young. We understand the demographic that we're going to. We're in the demographic that we're going to. Um, and, and we're not afraid to take, you know, much bigger risks than older people are. You guys are running young, wild and free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that. That's, you know, two podcasts in a row. So me and Sania recorded a podcast with one of the, I mean, this person is not young. He's, he's, I think in his Let's be nice. Let's say late thirties, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a good chance it's late forties, but I'll, I'll say late thirties. If he's going to be listening to this episode as well, so we asked him, like, what advice would you give to somebody starting off now? And he said, I wouldn't give them any advice. And I like that, you know, because the the more, you know, the twelve principles, four rules for doing this, that, and the other, the more things you build around your. Uh, uh, your your rationale or the way of thinking i think that the, the more constrained you are chances are you will end up not doing anything so uh, uh, second week we have the same answer so th- there is a theme we are developing here so yeah uh, yeah i like that and yeah that that just uh, helps me as well th- in thinking yeah. that. Uh, maybe I'm, i've been doing the right things for the last two years but reading <laughs> a lot less about you know improvements and all those things in life so <laughs> yeah yeah, no, like I've, I've heard, I was listening to this this podcast, it's called um, All In. Um, it's by a couple of like really wealthy guys. They're all in venture capital. They've all, they're all founders of previous things. And they were kind of talking about this quantum computing problem. And 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 quantum computing has been trying to be solved for, you know, decades now. Um, and they were saying like, we need just really young, smart people to come in and not take the the principles that these older people have learned and kind of tried to, to garner for the past, you know, two or three decades and just get these really young people in to come and try and figure out unique solutions. Right. Um, and so I think that's, you know, it's kind of useful advice is like when you're, when you're young, you're naive. And I think being naive is incredibly useful, um, to a certain extent. I can't agree more. So yeah, totally on board there. So Luke, you've had a short career and very successful, I would say, considering the number of users you've gained. So what's been the you know, the, the biggest challenge for you business or technology wise, you know, what's been the biggest kind of bottleneck so far and how did you overcome it? Yeah. Okay. So the, so the biggest, I, first of all, I wouldn't say my career is that successful um, at this point, but I think the biggest kind of problems we've had they're they're everywhere. Right. Like, so I guess a big issue is when, when you're, when you're doing financial services, you're, you're high, a little bit more regulated. So getting through all this different regulation, right. Uh, as efficiently as possible and, and, and without having to spend too much money, that, that was huge. 
Um, I think other issues is making sure you actually hire the right developers. Like in my mind, I was just like, okay, like any product can really be built. Like, you know, like look at all these people who are building these really cool products, but you have to find the right people to build those products. Um, so I think hiring, you're going to hear that from anyone, but hiring is definitely very, very hard. And then when you get to the people who are, you know, really capable and really, really good at what they do, they've got so many different options, right? So it's like, how do you convince them to come work for something that you're doing? And I think that leadership stems from, you know, one curiosity, you're still trying to figure that out and then, and then showing them how you're changing the world and, and, and this vision that you have. And right now, I think what's been really useful for us with hiring is that everyone knows that this platform doesn't exist in Canada. And right now we're trying to dominate Canada. I mean, our expectations are eventually you go to the States, but for now it's completely committed to Canada. And so all these people have had these issues in one way or another, and they want to be a part of building something that can change the entire country. And so I think that's been really helpful with, with, with hiring. Um, in terms of getting through all these challenges, I think that it's just, you know, a never ending belief that we're going to succeed. And every single person on our team, we all know it's going to be hard. There's going to be really hard things. There's going to be a, like, you know, tough mountains that we're going to have to climb. But if we just keep focused, if we keep grinding and if we keep doing exactly what we're doing right now um, and, and are transparent with one another and keep building this really beautiful culture that we've built, there's no reason why we can't succeed at it. And I think that's kind of the underlying belief into whenever a problem gets really, really difficult, we all just look at each other. We said, we knew this wasn't going to be easy. We knew this process wasn't going to be easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it. Um, and then that just helps us, you know, break through the next wall. I like that. I also like in your answer that you focus on the culture and you're building something um, from the grassroots and you're focusing on the culture. So you must have thought about this as, as your product will scale more customers um, and, you know, the, the teams would have to scale um, alongside the product. So do you think you'd be able to keep the culture and the values same while it's hiring people very fast and, and how would you balance that? I mean, this is this is a challenge that we face all the time because when we hire people rapidly and in big numbers, quite often it's the cultural, you know, values and and understanding a person's character to see if they will fit the organization's culture is something that people tend to undermine when they're hiring because it's about hiring the talent and not you know, these things become less important. So have you thought about it? I mean, th yeah. this is just my thing, you know, I, I really feel about strongly about this. So I uh, just wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah. So, so there's this, uh, there's this video that um, I think Y Combinator Greylock, it might've been Greylock did it um, with, with Brian Chesky, who's the CEO of Airbnb. Um, and, and he was saying that he, he had personally uh, interviewed like the first three or 400 people that worked for Airbnb um, because <laughs> wow. he wanted to make sure they were a perfect culture fit. And like people were yelling at him, like saying, man, you got to stop doing this. Like we need you to work on other things. And he was like, I got to make sure they're the right culture fit. So, so I think one, I'm going to take a lesson from that is do that. <laughs> so, so yeah. one, like in part of even all the developer interviews, I've been a part of them. Um, and so every single interview be a part of, and then I think what Brian Chesky also said, which kind of really resonated is, they wanted to hire only people who they knew would be hospitable hosts, who they knew would be hosts on their platform themselves. And so when you look at platforms like us, we categorize our, our users into two separate users. We've got our super users and then our regular users. Yeah. The super users bring other users on the platform, whether they're hosting an event, if they're requesting the utility bill, they're kind of the leaders in the group that will you know, request money from other people or the ones that are setting it up. And so example, our, 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 our CTO now, Michelle, 
Um, the reason why he loved it is because he went on a, on back a couple of years ago, he went on a, a couple of vacations with his family and, and immediate family, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sorry, and distant family. And, and he was the guy making the spreadsheet for everything. Right. So he just was like, okay, I'm the guy who's always collecting money. And so as we've hired people, we've all, we're always looking for the people who are kind of the leaders. They want to go on adventures. They want to do different things. They're the ones that are collecting money. They're requesting things. They're setting up things with people. Um, and then the more of those people that you get on the platform, they know how to get those other users onto the platform. Right. Um, and so that's kind of one one of the, the things that's ingrained in our culture is make sure you're hiring these kind of leaders that are in their groups and then allowing them to be leaders within the company. The advocates, yes. It'll be interesting to see if you will be conducting these interviews. By the way, uh, <laughs> just just highlighting, me and Senya do a lot of interviews for our organization. This is one of the, the first gateways that our employees go through is through me and Senya. So we are involved in podcasts, we are doing interviews, so that there's a lot of... Uh, hats we have to go through and we've been doing it for the past one year now so um (laughs) it's challenging but you know you have to do three or four of these every week so uh, we enjoy it i think i really have fun doing these because uh we ask very personal and upfront questions which people are not expecting because uh we we put them in a spot you know and they they love it actually some of them and uh, those are the ones that what's your best interview question or which one do you like using my best interview question is not a question. I I actually lay out all the cards, like how our organization operates. And I, I put them on the spot by saying, I'd love to know how you would operate in this environment where we are putting on multiple hats, where you have to, you know, one day do the podcast recording, the other day you're speaking with your account, and then the third day you have to interview people. And how, what, what are your thoughts on this kind of culture where people are constantly contributing to other people's success, making sure they are successful. And while they are becoming themselves, you know, uh, or rewarded for doing these things. So, um, yeah, quite often people stumble, you know, those who are uncomfortable answering such questions or, or don't want to do this, they will um, immediately, you know, um, are taken aback, you know, by this question or uh, you, you, you find them, you know, the, the facial expression just goes away completely because, some people are expecting nine to five jobs and, and, yeah. and I don't think we are ready for, uh, in our culture, there's no, there's no such place as nine to five. I think you yeah. have to love your job and you are constantly, um, you, you, you're not working, but you're doing the, your job. That's how we feel. So I think this yeah. is the, uh, this is what we go for normally. All right. So we've come to the final part of our podcast. This is where questions can get tricky. What is your daily routine look? Can you share with our listeners? Do you sleep eight hours like you're supposed to, or do you wake up maybe at 4 a.m. and start grinding hard? <laughs> what is your daily routine? So I've uh, I've actually recently started reading this book uh, called Atomic Habits. I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, and so it's basically just explains, it's this guy who basically when he was really young, he got um, he basically got hit in the face with a baseball bat and, and just his face got obliterated. He was put into an induced coma. They didn't know if he was going to survive. Um, he was never that like amazing at baseball. Uh, and then he was out of, of commission for basically a year, something like that, um, in the hospital for, for, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, and then he ended up getting incredibly good with his habits, like creating these incredible habits. I'm, I'm only, you know, about a hundred pages through. So I wish, I wish I had finished it before this, but anyways, so I've kind of taken a lot of lessons from him, you know, a typical day, um, wake up seven, seven thirty, um, make breakfast, you know, around seven thirty eight. Um, as soon as that eight o'clock kind of start checking email, email for probably 30, 35, 40 minutes, 
hop on to our um, Zoom call, sorry, not our Zoom call, our Google Meet. So we all sit in a Google Meets call for the whole day, our whole team, and we just sit on mute. We sit with our cameras off. And then if someone has to say something or we want to talk, whatever, we, we come <laughs> off mute. So usually sitting in there, um, there's different calls that we have, you know, throughout the day, usually nine to one, I like setting up all my calls. Um, and so those are different things with regulators. Right now we're doing a bunch of stuff with KYC and AML policy stuff. So, so that's usually takes up about an hour every morning. Um, figuring out stuff with Aiden and marketing to our students. We need to get stuff for either our brand ambassadors. We need to get stuff for certain users. Something goes down where we were doing some sort of customer support throughout the entire day. Um, usually at one to five, I like to take that time to go back. Basically new information has come in. We've got new data. So I like to go back over our data, see how, uh, see what our accounts are, are looking like. And then, and then put this all into our model. We've got this kind of really big model that we we've been testing out different things. And so right now we're in the process of actually thinking, should we put prepaid cards into our platform? Um, and, and then how does this whole thing work? So that's been taking up quite a bit of time over the past few days. Um, usually around five thirty six, um, my girlfriend gets off work and then we do a workout together, maybe six, six thirty that usually lasts till seven thirty, make some dinner, read a bit and, and head to bed and do the same thing over again. And usually that's, you know, six days a week. And, and then we take Sundays for a, for a little bit of time for ourselves. You work really hard. I can tell you that. Yeah. So six days a week. That's, that's great. I mean, yeah. Saturday's uh, also a work day. Okay. Um, just lastly, I want to ask you something about mindfulness. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that have been on the rise. I think in the past five or six years, a lot of people are spending, um, a lot of, you know, time on this. So are, are you doing any mindfulness practices or any kind of meditation that you currently are interested in doing or have been doing? So I haven't been too much into, into meditation. I, I, although I should, I know I hear about it all the time. Um, I, I like reading. That's really what I do when I, to get away from things is I'll just go in, I'll pick up a book and really get into the book. And that like, it clears your mind from everything that's really happening mm -hmm. on the outside world. And you get to miss yourself in kind of this, this environment where, um, where, you know, it doesn't really reflect the outside world. Um, although, you know, mostly of what I read is nonfiction. Um, and then, and then kind of something weird that I do, uh, is I just pace around the house and think, um, and so, so I'll probably an hour a day or so an hour and a half a day, I'll just be pacing around and, uh, and it kind of gets my roommates a little like, what the hell is this guy doing? But, but it, it helps me think and it helps me cook up some ideas. And then whenever I've got an idea, I come right into our group thing and, and mention to the group. And the amazing thing about working with really smart people, is you can say an idea and although it's not mm -hmm. fully fledged out and it isn't everything everyone grasps on that idea and we all just start ticking down it and, and rolling it down this path and, and and seeing what it can become and sometimes it becomes something really useful that we put into our product mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just really shitty and, and we throw it away but um i think that's the amazing thing about working with really smart people who are all invested in the in the same goal is is you're always trying to figure out you know you're always trying to come to the truth and figure out what's the best thing we can put in front of our users faces it's been quite a journey, I think, the last uh, 30 minutes or so. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with both of you as well. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Great. Yeah, look, thank you so much. We learned a lot, and thanks for sharing. A special thanks to our podcast guests this week, and once again to our sponsor, Sphere Partners, for bringing this episode to life. If you enjoyed this episode, drop SphereCast a five-star review on iTunes and share this content with your network. For any relevant links or notes from this episode, check out our podcast website at www.spheringc.com forward slash SphereCast. And always remember, when you think you can't, technology can. See you next time.